We're, 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 we're continuing our study here in, our, in our, um, uh, the book of Colossians, <clears throat> and we're specifically continuing where Paul has been praying for the Colossians. And what we have shown here is that this is really a template for spiritual growth. If we are truly a follower of Jesus Christ, if we've placed our full confidence in what Christ has done for us on the cross and through his resurrection— and that's all that we are placing our confidence in, then we can also have confidence that he is doing a work in us. And as he does that, Paul is praying for these uh, newer believers. They, they've been around a while, okay? These are not newbies, but, but they're, they're, they're folks that are still growing, and um, as we all are. But the New Testament, Paul's books, the vast majority of them are designed to help people get through um, things that they don't know or corrections based upon some of the things that they're, that they're possibly veering into. And, and there's no exception here. So Paul is wanting them to continue to grow, and his focus here is on um, uh, what we have been talking about. So the central point of Paul's prayer is that be- these believers live, as we talked about last week, a life worthy of the gift of salvation that they have received. Last week, we basically answered three questions. What does living a worthy life mean? Is living a worthy life possible? And how do we live a worthy life? Um, So we talked through that. This is not living in a way that makes us worthy to receive life in Christ. That's not what we're talking about. If somehow I can be good enough, if I can do enough things, if I can garner his favor, then I will have eternal life. That's not what we're talking about. We're also not talking about somehow living in a way that we are then worthy of what he's given to us. That, that really isn't possible either. What we're really talking about, living a worthy life before God as a believer, is simply living in a suitable and appropriate way that is in line with what we have been given in Christ, both now and for eternity. A suitable, appropriate lifestyle based upon the calling that we have been given, based upon the great hope that we have. The key to living this life, as Paul began this section, is uh, knowing God's will with spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a matter of fact, let's just pause for a moment. Let's read this section so that it's a little fresh in your mind. Starting in verse 9 of Colossians chapter 1, it says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you. And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that's what I just mentioned, that you may have a walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. And that, again, is, is I believe, the key to this passage. It's the, it's the apex here. Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthening with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and longsuffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of of the Son of of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. So walking in a worthy manner is or living a worthy life, is doing what we spiritually understand is God's will. And the result, which even can be considered evidence to a degree, of wisely knowing and doing God's will, is that we will please the Lord with our living, just like this passage tells us. We will produce good works, and we will know God better. 
Said another way, living wisely makes Jesus happy. I mean, it's just that simple. He's pleased with us. It makes us a more productive follower, and it grows our relationship with the Lord. Which brings us to how this lifestyle is possible. I mean, how do we actually live this life? Well, folks, it's through a God-given strength. I just got to say from the very beginning here, man, everything about this passage is wonderful, but, but th- this, this, is, this is like the glue, right? You know, this, this is what's, what's binding all of this together and, and I think makes it, make, just gives it more sense to us. And we had just reviewed the questions that we answered last week, and I gave you a little bit of review about that. But this week, we are answering really a, another question, even though I'm not asking it in an um, uh, outline form, but it's this. How am I able to live a worthy, productive life that is pleasing to God? Right? To say how that is to be lived out is one thing, but how am I able to live that out? And the answer is through the strength supplied by God. Now, I will say this. On occasion, um, although the, the, um, the Bible Fellowship Hour is, is many times, we don't plan this, but it's a compliment to the worship service and vice versa. So even if you weren't here, um, if you weren't here, you didn't hear this. But um, Larry did steal my thunder a little bit because one of the things I want us to do is just pause and give a very spiritual word for this, a very spiritual response. Wow. Right? <laughs> and you did the same thing. And I'm like, that's in my outline. That's it. He stole that. No, no. <laughs> Seriously, though. Wow. We can live this life because not just of all that Christ has done for us, but what God continues to do in and through us. We're not left alone. It's not all up to us. And so that is amazing. The source of this strength is God himself. But how often are we going it alone? When we don't have to. Let's be gently warned that this passage already has promised us that God is right there with us every step of the way. But let's look at some verses regarding this strength. I want us to turn back. We're going to look at Psalm 96. Psalm 96. We're going to look at a couple of psalms here. Psalm 96. And I asked you to turn there, but really I have it on this on the screen. Verses 6 and 7. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. That's, 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 that's a lovely description, isn't it? But it goes on. Give to the Lord, O families of the people. Give to the Lord glory and strength. This isn't the idea that we're giving God glory and strength. It's the idea of, of we're giving recognition. That, that's really what it means. So we're recognizing the God of glory and strength. And so I wanted this verse just to remind us, we have an all-powerful God. We have a glorious God. We can look up, again, another spiritual term here, a gazillion verses, right, that, that, that would talk about this. But this one is just talking about his strength and his beauty and his greatness. 
and his glory, right? And then the next verse I want to see is Psalm 19:14, and it really ties that practical living in with us. Look what it says. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. We're going to stop there for a minute. So what I'm thinking and what I'm saying, which probably also includes what I'm doing, right? What I'm thinking and what I'm saying. Let those things be acceptable to you, right? Let me, let me do those things in a worthy manner. That fits, doesn't it? Then it goes on. O oh Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. This is going to be patterned right after the verses that we're looking at today. But if we just think for just a moment, that idea of God's strength. What's he saying? I want to do these things and I'm acknowledging your strength. That's exactly what he's doing. I want my thoughts to be right. I want my words to be right. And again, I think we can include actions in there. I want my life to be appropriate. And I'm acknowledging your strength as I attempt to do that. And then to take a portion out of the passage that I read in Ephesians, looking at verses, chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. And what is the exceeding greatness? That's, that's pretty cool there. An exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. This exceeding greatness, this power, God is working in and through us. Man, it's amazing. Paul often combines similar terms to emphasize a point and provide a richer meaning. Like when he says, all spiritual wisdom understanding earlier in the passage. Here Paul uses strengthened and power. We are strengthened or enabled by the almighty God. And said another way, we have received enabling by God who has limitless power and authority. You see how those two things are combined? Those two thoughts are combined? The best way to summarize uh, or a way to summarize this, none of this is the best, is that if we desire to live a worthy life and if we actually work to live a worthy life, right? It's going to take some effort on our part. Then God will give us the strength to do it. Do you believe that? I, I really do. Believing and completely trusting while I'm living that life, being mindful of that, See, sometimes I don't know that it's necessarily a lack of trust. It's just that we get up and we, let, let's assume that we're going to have a perfect morning of devotions and prayer, right? But once life hits, we can still get distracted and we can still fall back on what? Ourselves or even somebody else. We have responsibilities. But think about this. Think of the fruit of the Spirit, I'm not going to go through all of them. I'm just talking about the concept. The spiritual produce, right, of living a spirit-led life. You with me? So when we're talking about kindness and patience and these other things and dealing with other people, it's not just, I have to get my mind straight and I have to, you know. No, it's, what does God want me to do? 
How does the Lord want me to respond to that person? That's that worthy living. You see how practical this is? This is what Paul, Paul's prayer is for the Colossian church. I want us to be very careful, um, and, and I've heard these terms before. Again, I try not to be super critical. I, I think that they're intended correctly, but if they're just left alone, I'll just say it. It isn't a way to describe that we somehow are plugging into God to receive his power. I mean, think about that. We say that sometimes, don't we? Or we hear that. You just got to plug into God. I heard a speaker just recently, and they were talking about um, visiting God in the secret place. They were so... um, That's what I'm looking for. Preoccupied about trying to explain the secret place that they referred to God as it. They said, it's there. And I'm like, it's there? What do you mean, it's there? The secret place isn't, you know, and, and I, I know that I'm conceptually you're like, what are you talking about? But I, I'm, I'm simply saying that they're saying we go, we go to God and we, and we, and we, we communion, commune with him. And so I've got this special information to you so that we can meet with it. That, that's the pronoun that they used. What's my point? If we say we're going to plug into God, it, it depersonalizes him. We don't want to do that. That's not the mindset that we want to come to our Heavenly Father. Okay, so it's, it's, just, it's just a warning to be careful. What we're talking about is the unexplainable, and yes, we can use this word. We're not talking about, again, this mystical thing, but this unexplainable energy we get from a healthy, vibrant relationship with God. That's what it is. That's that power that comes from Him. We can all relate to being energized, encouraged, positively motivated by people around us, right? It happens. Maybe it's some, a situation at work, or maybe we're at school and we're having a bad day and we come home, or you know, husbands, wives, friends, whatever that relationship might be, and you're just kind of, uh, you know, just the things of life, you're just, that's where you're at. But someone else comes along and through praying for you or encouraging you in some way, it, it, it gives you something, right? That's what we're talking about with a relationship with the Lord too. So we don't want to depersonalize things. We want to make our relationship more personal. God energizes us through our fellowship with him. Okay? That's really what it's all about. So we have a God-given strength. We also have a God-given purpose. I, I, I say this all the time. I get excited, you know what I mean? I, 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 like, I, I just really like what, um, uh, what this passage has to say and, and just how everything ties together with it. But I want us to see here in verse 11, there are, and there are, there are three phrases here that, that are, um, let's see, how do I say this? We're given a purpose with the strength that we're supposed to have, right? It says, for all patience and long-suffering. Now, I do want to explain here, the New King James still retains the older terms, right? 
But let me read for you from the ESV and then the NAS and then the NIV just to help you see how others might have translated this. For all endurance and patience, for attaining steadfastness and patience, and then the NIV, that you may have endurance and patience. So some of you, I know you already have different translations right there in your lap. Um, and as I'm explaining this, it's going to sound like I'm reversing the terms. There, this, again, the New King James just, just carries over what we might call a little bit older terms. But here's what we're looking at. The first term there really has to do with endurance. The idea of remaining under or bearing up under without giving up. Okay? Whatever situation that might be. And the, and the aspect really has to do more with events. So if we think of, you know, well, the other day, sorry, again, it popped in my head. We're, we're trying to, we're trying to, to get um, a ceiling fan. We're, we're trying, we're trying to, to get it um, so, so that we can, we can paint around it and stuff like that, right? And, and so the ceiling fan drops, and now we've got to put it back up. So, you know, one of us has got to hold the ceiling fan up with endurance, because you got to get this little screw in this little hole that's really close to the ceiling. And you're trying to do that the whole time that someone is holding the ceiling fan up. Okay? If you don't have endurance, the ceiling fan falls. It's not a good thing. Okay? So I'm literally bearing up under, right, the ceiling fan. A silly situation in life, a lot more important ones, same principle. Okay? So that's that idea of endurance or steadfastness. Then the next word is really more along the lines of what we consider today to be patience. It's enduring without reacting poorly. I will tell you, Brother Larry was talking about driving this morning, and I was so afraid he was going to go to our impatience in driving because I didn't want to be convicted again. I've been doing better lately, but sometimes. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> this is, again, we... we, we we use the old term long-suffering, but it's related to people. That's really what it's related to. We are, in, we are enduring, we're bearing up under situations. We are patient toward, we endure without reacting poorly to people. And again, this is Paul using two terms, slightly different meanings, to give us a fuller idea so our God-given purpose for our strength is so that we are patient and long-suffering, so that we are enduring and patient with people, okay? <clears throat> this is what we might call long-haul living. We have some truckers and railroaders in our congregation, and they probably know a thing or two about long hauls, Okay. I know a couple of our railroaders are not able to be here today because they're probably on the railroad. So uh, spouses, you'll need to make sure that they listen to this because I use them as an illustration. Okay? All right. <laughs> Life isn't a quick trip to the grocery store and back. Right? It's long. Life is mile after spiritual mile of experiences, challenges, and decisions. It's mile after spiritual mile of people and relationships. The product we are hauling, if I can keep this going, is a faithful life. 
based upon the gospel. So really, the vehicle is the gospel. But as we're living our life, what we're doing is we're living out the gospel. So we continue to faithfully do our pickups, right, of the good things in life, that, that, that um, uh, appropriate living. Now, we could keep on going with that analogy, and, but we're not going to. I'm going to resist the urge. But we get the idea. We need to hear again and again that this long-haul living is related to events and circumstances as well as people and relationships, right? So it's a long haul. We have to have patience and endurance, but that's where God's strength comes in. Then he talks about with joy, with joy. It's accompanied by a deep-seated Happiness. It's not based upon our circumstances, but it's based upon the character of the Lord. Uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 3. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 5. Romans 5. I'm going to read for you verse 3 and 11, just to kind of give us what Paul says here. Verse 3 says, out of Romans 5, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. We know there's more to that, but I want to stick to our subject. Then going down to verse 11, And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. So what is the ultimate thing, even through difficult times, the things that we endure what do we see there? We see a rejoicing, a joy in what God is doing. So it's not based upon circumstances. We can experience joy while enduring anything because we are wisely living a worthy life. See how this all goes together? And then what, how do we continue this? Giving thanks to God the Father. And that's, that's right there in verse 12, the very beginning. A wise understanding of God's will is going to result in a thankful heart. If we know God's will and we're doing it, we're going to be thankful because we're going to see what he is doing. We're going to see him through all of that. Now, this is not so much, oh, thank you, thank you so much for that difficult trial, right? As if we're being given the best thing we could possibly give on Christmas morning, get on Christmas morning. That's not really what we're talking about. You know, oh, I'm thrilled, right? It's more like a true appreciation and gratitude that God is actively fulfilling what he has promised to do in our lives, that he's promised to grow us. That's that thankfulness. We can actually combine the two phrases that we just looked at and say that we uh, patiently endure with joyful thanksgiving to the Father. We patiently endure and then joyfully thank the Father. Now, along with that, there is a God-given foundation of hope. And I, I like, I mean, let's face it, this is, this is God-breathed, right? That's what we believe about the Word of God. But it still doesn't cease to amaze me how the Lord puts his love letter to us together, right? So look at this. Look at the action words that are related to our salvation. I want to read these for you real quick. 
So we, we just looked at the beginning part of verse 12. We'll start there. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his beloved, uh, of, the, of the kingdom of the son of his love. Sorry, sometimes I fall back. Anyway, all right. So let, let's think about this. He qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. We need to unpack this phrase a little bit. There's a lot here. What does it mean to be qualified? It means that we fulfill the requirements many times of a job, right? We fulfill the requirements. If one of you said to me, hey, I'd like you to replumb my house, my immediate response would be, I am not qualified to do that. Uh, I also don't want to, but I'm not qualified to do that, okay? <laughs> There's a lot of things that I'm not qualified to do. So as, as we think about this, what, what does it mean then to be qualified? It means that we fulfill the responsibilities, the, the abilities, whatever it might be, to a given task. God the Father qualified us through Christ to do what? To be his child. Now, listen to that one more time. God qualified us. We did not do anything to become qualified. We don't come to the table with our resume and say, look, I'm in. I can do this. No. We come through the ability of Christ. We come through what Jesus did for us and who he is. That's who qualifies us. But it's still beautiful. It's beautiful. All right. So let me move on to an inheritance eternal life, and all that his promise holds. Folks, that's what we're looking ahead for, right? So we have this life that he's given to us. We're qualified to be his children, but we're looking ahead to the fulfillment of all of that. And it's simply said here that it's to the saints, the same as um, every other set-apart person. Uh, We're going to... There are rewards, I understand that, but we're really all going to have the same inheritance. Think about this. It it is something that never ends, that we're never going to be able to fully understand, even as as, um, uh, glorified people, right? We're still going to be enjoying God forever. It's never going to get boring. So we're going to take part in eternity. You, You don't have to... Dish that out, right? This part of eternity is for you. This, you no, know, it's, it's everything forever. It's all of who God is for each of us. That's the inheritance that God gives us. And it's to every saint, and it says, in the light. John 1 tells us clearly that Jesus is the light. He came into the world as the light, right? So this inheritance is something that we have for him. And then it says that we are delivered. Deliver, he's delivered us from the power of darkness. Talk, talk about a contrast, right? We have everything in Jesus. We've been qualified to be gods because of what Christ has done for us. We are his set apart ones, and we have the light, right? All of that. And then what do we see? We're rescued from the kingdom of Satan and sin, although uh, only through the power of Christ can we be rescued from the power of sin. Only through him. 
This also helps us to put things in perspective to motivate us to live a worthy life. Think about it. Why would, why would you go back to what you were delivered from? I mean, let's just, let's just kind of put this in terms that we can understand today with some of the, the cold and the snow and everything else, right? You're trapped on the highway, right? Snow all around you. You can't move. You're out of gas now. You don't have any food. And someone knocks on your window and says, hey, uh, do you need some help? And you're like, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I've got a snowmobile here. We can, we can get you out of here. Oh, thank you. That's great. So you tool out of there. As soon as you get far enough away and they say, hey, here's a restaurant that's open. Just go on in and, and you know, they'll take care of you. Okay, great. And as soon as they drop you off, you stop and you say, hmm, I wonder where my car is. And you start walking back to your car. That, that's returning to this. Why would you do that? You were just delivered from that. The cold and the hunger and the frustration and even the danger, right? So let's flip that over into spiritual terms. Why do we want to go back into the accident, right? <laughs> to the messed up life of sinfulness, right? It's a train wreck. We don't want to go back there. So we've been delivered from that. And then, again, this is, I love scripture so much. We've been qualified, we've been delivered, and then conveyed, right? Transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. Translated or transferred or delivered into the eternal kingdom of Christ. So we've been qualified. He establishes that. Well, what does that mean? It means we're going from here Went from here, not going, went from here to here. And where is here? Our salvation isn't the icing on the cake. Our salvation is the cake, the icing, the sprinkles. It's everything. Our salvation is everything that we have in Christ. Paul is taking us back to the foundation of who gave us life and then who we are living for. That's what it's all about. So he tells us, all these wonderful things about how we're supposed to know his will and live a worthy life, do good works, do it with his strength, right? But then he reminds us what we have in Jesus. He goes right back to the foundation of all that. And that's why I was saying, I, I just love how scripture works. Because this goes back to what he talked about in the beginning when he was just greeting them. And he was talking about the great salvation that they have and the faith that they have in Christ. He's going right back to that. And he's saying, everything that I'm telling you to do to grow is based upon that. It's based upon what Christ has done for us. And with that, I want us to explore what I want to see as a God-given pattern. We are to follow the pattern left us by Jesus. Jesus did the will of the Father in the power of the Spirit. I want us to give this some consideration this morning. Because this is what we're left with here, right? Everything that we're doing is because of Christ and through Christ. So let's look at some scriptures here. I, I want to reverse this a little bit. And I first want to cover the power of the Spirit. Christ living in the power of the Spirit. Turn with me to Mark 1. Mark 1.
I'm going to read for you verses 9 through 13. One thing just to keep in mind about Mark, um, and I don't even know if it's in this context, you know, off the top of my head, but he uses the word immediately a lot. This guy moves. You want to go shopping with Mark, okay? I mean, he's fast. Uh, a little bit shorter gospel, but he has a purpose, okay? So there's a lot of things that he doesn't cover necessarily that other gospels cover. Some things he covers a little bit more, but, and, and this happens to be one of those occasions. So Mark 1, starting in verse 9, going through verse 13. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And there it is. And immediately, coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, uh, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and was with... Uh, the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. So you see here, who came upon Christ? The God-man. The Spirit, right? Who does do the Scriptures say actually sent him into the wilderness for his time of testing? The Spirit, okay? So let's then go to Luke 4. Luke 4. Starting in verse 14. And we're going to finish that passage in verse 21. Luke 4, starting in verse 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he, was, when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And so now we're reading from Isaiah, Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach the deliverance to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus, I don't understand this, but the God-man lived by the power of the Spirit. Okay? Keep that thought. Jesus also was about doing the will of the Father. A few verses to look at. This is a little more familiar to us. John 4, 34. Jesus said to them, My food, right, my nourishment is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. If you remember, that was when Jesus had just been talking with the woman at the well in Samaria. She had gone back to, uh, because she was understanding who Jesus was, she had gone back to the village and they're like, hey, uh, you going to eat something? Right? And Jesus said, I, I don't need food right now. And this is what he said, right? My nourishment is to do the will of the Father. John 5.30 I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. John 6.38-39 and 39, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, 
but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. We need to take note that the gospel that contains the most about Jesus doing the will of the Father, that's John, that's what we just looked at, is also the book that focuses on explaining that Jesus is God. Now you think about that for a minute. We have more in the book of John that's about Jesus explicitly doing the will of the Father and more in John explicitly telling us that Jesus is God himself. <laughs> How do you bring those two things together? What has God commanded us to do? The same thing that Jesus did as our example. To do the will of God through the power supplied by him. To do the will of the Father through the power of the Spirit. Jesus is our pattern. Our God-given pattern for living. We say that all the time. But folks, it's true. He did it. He literally lived a perfect life as a man. Exclusively man? No. But he was still man. And he lived in such a way to pattern for us exactly how we are to live for the Father. Exactly how we are to live for the Son. And it's by God's strength through God's leading. So now, just very briefly here, what do we do with all this? When we put all this together, we see that we are to live for Christ by following the example of Christ. It is a simple formula. But it's not easy to do. For Jesus, I don't want to make it sound like it didn't take work, humanly speaking, right? We, we can all go back and look at what happened when he was tempted of the devil. We can all go back and look at how he responded when, when it came right down to the minutes before he was going to be arrested. Right? There was that human struggle there. But he could not sin. He lived a perfect pattern for us. This life is possible. Use Paul, Paul's prayer as a template for living for Jesus Christ. Live that life dependent upon him, upon God and his strength. Choose joy and express your gratitude to God through thanksgiving. And remember what Christ has done for us. That's what Paul is telling us to do as far as how we can live this worthy life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I, I don't want to be presumptuous and act like I'm praying here for every person here, but I, I think that it might be representative of many of us. Lord, forgive us for the times when we just do things on our own strength. Forgive us when we feel like doing your will 
is is just kind of trudging through life and and willing ourselves to do the right thing when in reality it's enjoying that relationship with you and having it so fresh that it's reflex that by knowing your will we do it and we do it because of what you've done for us and it begins to take on a life of its own again lord i i i don't want to assume that none of us are doing that here but in our weakness there are still times throughout our daily lives when something hits us, maybe it's what we thought someone said. Maybe it's not getting the right reaction about something. Maybe it's a, a situation that we're in. And the flesh starts to kick in. That old way of doing things. That, that lifestyle that we've been saved from and translated from. Lord, help us to remember the life that we have been conveyed to. The hope that we have in Jesus and the glorious pattern that he set for us. We have a desire to please you. And I pray, Father, that we really will take seriously Paul's prayer. What, what, a, what a noble man that he not only went out and did your will and, 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 and saw people receive Christ and all those things, and we think of Epaphras too in this passage, but a desire was to, not to make a name for himself, but to help him, Lord, to, to glorify you. And that was just something that was, he was constantly bringing to you. And so, Father, the other thing that we've talked about a long time ago now is that we need to pray this prayer for one another. And encourage one another in these things. So we thank you for just the completeness of Scripture. We thank you for this pattern that we have to live for you. We thank you that it's not just possible, but that you provide the strength and the guidance that we need to please you. And we want to do that. We want to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.